Good to see you all this morning and uh, excited to be in God's Word together. You can start turning with me. We're in Acts chapter 17 this morning, working through this section of uh, this next story in the account of their journey and their adventure, uh, building and establishing the initial church. Uh, we're in verses 1 through 15 this morning, but while you're turning there, I have a question for you. I'm wondering if this is uh, where we come clean with each other. If anyone here has ever been accused of disturbing the peace, anyone in your uh, upbringing, any childhood or any of your teenage years, I, I remember uh, my years at college, uh, really that was my primary goal was to disturb the peace, I might even admit. Uh, I went to Cedarville University, a pretty conservative school in Ohio, and I had a nice dress code. They had a curfew. And really what we came to find is you could either be annoyed by it or have fun with it. And what we found is on the regular school nights, uh, the joy, there was great joy in getting in uh, pursuits with uh, campus safety. And, uh, and so we would sneak out after curfew. Son, don't listen to this. I uh, would sneak out after curfew. And literally, our job was just to get in, uh, in uh, uh, foot chases with the campus safety. And so one time, we were really surprised because we couldn't find campus safety anywhere. And we we're just like, man, they're not coming out tonight. I, I don't know, are they on vacation? Are they on? Like, what, what's going on? And so there's a, a bell in the middle of the campus. And so uh, kind of like a tribute bell. And we decided to start ringing that bell, which probably would no, no sense in that other than just uh, foolish. But uh, we were ringing the bell. And out of nowhere, our, the campus safety were equipped and prepared. That they, they were dressed in like all black, like they're on this mission to actually capture us. So they come running out with flashlights, and they're like, if you run, you're in even more trouble. So what do you think we did? Ran, man. We were out of there. Like we were, we were, we were zigzagging every direction. I had a wig that I was wearing down to my middle of my back, and so I couldn't be recognized. And, uh, and so we're, we're there, and we, we, we made it away, and... I look back at that, and you're like, that was just ridiculous. That was so, so terrible. And, and the reason I bring that up, this idea of disturbing the peace, is because that's what I think this section of Scripture is all about, disturbing the peace. Now, typically, here's the definition of disturbing the peace, is when a person's words or conduct jeopardize another person's right to peace and tranquility. Isn't tranquility a nice word? Just say that to your neighbor right now. Tranquility. Just feels good. And, and that's, what, that's what disturbing the peace is, is it's disrupting tranquility. And here's the thing about disturbing the peace. The way that it works, it's typically a bad thing. It's typically associated with something negative, right? You, if you have a, a neighbor that's noisy or somebody that's disturbing your peace, you're like, that's the worst thing thing ever. I used to have a neighbor that was really hard to work with. Actually, he's sitting here. Uh, but, uh, um, but, but anyway, this, this idea, it's a bad thing unless, unless, I'll say that, someone is in danger. In emergency situation, rules of etiquette are very different, right? No one ever chases down an ambulance and you're like, come on, I was trying to relax in your noisy machine. They're disturbed. No, of course not, because why? There's a simple truth that safety trumps comfort. 
safety trumps comfort. In other words, we elevate someone's safety way over the idea of disturbing their comfort. Of course, that would be silly to say, oh, we want to make sure they keep their peace and tranquility when there's danger of someone getting hurt or injured. You're like, man, that, that trumps it. Safety trumps comfort. And here in the spiritual sense, as we're going to see as this account of the uh, the, the, these missionaries going out is they understood this in the spiritual sense that someone's comfort often needs to be disrupted or, or, or interrupted in order for the, the message of rescue to come through for their own safety. It's for, with their very best interest in, in mind. And here's the reality that we're dealing with is that we're in a world that's so often completely clueless to the fact of what Romans tells us is in Romans 2, 2, 5, that God's wrath towards mankind is just pending. There's a day that's coming, a day that's coming that our unrighteousness is going to eventually rise up to a righteous God and demand a payment. In other words, there's a debt that's going to have to be paid. There's a debt that's going to have to be paid. Do you remember maybe in your early 20s when you first got your first credit card? Can anybody think back to that when you first got your credit card? Some of us were wise with it. Others of us saw, man, this is the opportunity for me to get everything I've been waiting to buy, right? Some people had that experience, not in here because we're a fiscally responsible church, uh, but, but some people I've heard of have done that, got everything they wanted until that magical day came when in the mail, what arrived? A bill. And the realization set in, oh my goodness, I have to pay for all of this. I have to, I, with interest, I've got to pay for this. And you start doing the math and here's the same thing in a spiritual terms is that we have a world that doesn't realize that one day that bill is coming and there's going to be a required payment. And that required payment is going to only either come from us or from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you had the opportunity in this debt that you owe on your credit card, if somebody else has written the check and has just extended it to you, why in the world wouldn't you take that payment? That's the alarm that were invited, that were granted permission to get out and display for people. Man, there's a debt that's owed. There's going to be a payment needed someday. We have to get that message out. It says that this, so far what we've seen in, in Acts, as they're going out, as they're trying to get this message out, it's not always received the best. In fact, they've seen it in Acts 16.20, the last section we were in. It described them. It says, they are disturbing our city. Now, a lot of times people don't like the sound of an alarm. A lot of times they don't like the sound of a warning. And the warning bell that we have to, 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 to ring, if you think about it, does a couple things. It makes a person have to admit that I can't fix myself. I have a problem that I can't solve. There, there's a lot of things that are, are hard to receive that, that I need to turn over the reins to Almighty God as the one ruling and reigning in my life. Those are a lot of messages that people have a hard time hearing, but that doesn't mean we're granted permission to not tell the message. 
doesn't mean that we're granted permission to not tell the message. In fact, last week we talked about the, the how. We're to, it's, I'm not saying calling for us to be obnoxious. We can ask good questions. We can be, be discerning how we approach people for sure. But it doesn't change that the message that we have has to go out. Like Newton or Isaac Newton's first law of motion. Maybe you remember this from your school days. Everything remains in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. In other words, things don't move unless something caused them to move. We're going to see in our story this morning that they came in and they impressed on them and forced movement, whether it was received well or not received well. It's a call that we have to disturb the peace. Let me pray before we dive in. God, I thank you for this text this morning, and I know even as I was studying it this week, it's a text that shakes you up a little bit with a charge to disturb the peace. I pray for us that maybe you would rattle us in our comfort a bit this morning and move us towards the mission that we have because there's so much at stake. We have a world around us that's clueless to the state that they're in. God, I pray that you teach us through this text that it wouldn't be my ideas, but it'd be your word that reaches and breaks through to our hearts this morning. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 17 in the book of Acts. I've titled this, Sound the Alarm. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Opolinia, these names are tough, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Let's pause there just for some explanation, just a reminder of where we've come from. You remember last week he was in Philippi, and we're on his second missionary journey. He's going out and literally disturbing the peace in every one of these cities. He's rattling the cages, if you will, a bit. And you remember he was thrown in prison for that exact reason of disturbing the city. He was thrown in prison. You remember how that played out. There's a, a earth, well, first a worship concert was pretty cool, led by Paul and Silas in the prison. And then an earthquake, they're eventually set free. And now they're moving on to the next city. And this is a strategic trip. It's about 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. And the city, you might notice that they moved past a couple of smaller cities to get to Thessalonica, which was the capital city of that region, about 200,000 people living in that area. So they're heading to a capital city. This same idea on this missionary journey as if you were establishing airports, you're picking major cities as a hub. Does that make sense? So we're moving past smaller ones, getting to the bigger ones. Thessalonica is where they end up uh, to have the maximum impact. And as was their custom, they go where first? They head first to the synagogue. Why is that? We've talked about that a bit. In the synagogue, at least they had a, a, a mutual respect 
for God's word. They could have had a starting point, if you will, with the Old Testament. So they start, and it describes there in the text, it says that they reasoned with them from Scripture. Reasoned with them. Reason is, a, by definition, a logical discourse with the intent to persuade. With the intent to persuade. And you see here in the text what they're trying to persuade them of. Really just three things. First one is Scripture foretold that the Messiah must suffer. Scripture foretold that the Messiah must suffer. You see, this was a correction of their thinking because what were they waiting for the Messiah to do? They're waiting for the Messiah to show up and rescue them from Roman rule and to make all things right and to, and to rule and, and lead. They weren't expecting a suffering Messiah. But they point them to that all over the Old Testament, it was predicted. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Zechariah 12.10. I'm sure pointing to these texts specifically, describing the Messiah as needing to suffer for what? For our sins. It's still a part of the gospel message today that's an integral part for us to make sure we communicate. Our sin has separated us from a perfect God, and there needs to be payment for that sin. So that's the first part. They're making sure that they understand that sin earns consequence, and so the suffering was required. Second thing, Scripture also foretold that the Messiah would rise again. So not only would he suffer and die, he would rise again on the third day, providing victory over sin and death. Another key component to our gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. This is a testable historical event. I love how Bill pointed to that last week, the idea that when we're presenting the gospel, it's not, a, not something you're inviting people to check their mind at the door. It says in the text, they're explaining and proving that this has happened. It wasn't something that they could deny. There was too many witnesses that had seen him after his execution back alive. Over 500 witnesses are described of seeing the risen Christ. So they're making sure that this isn't a check your brain thing. That You see the truths of scripture have satisfied the greatest minds in human history. And here they're making sure they're clear on that. A logical mind understands Justice, consequence, reconciliation, things that when we're engaging with our culture, we can still to this day say, man, use your mind, put on your thinking cap the idea that there's payment needed and that here ultimately the third part is that Jesus is the Messiah foretold in Scripture. So easy, we have to be careful of this to go into kind of vague God talk. You know what I mean by that? When you're just kind of talking about God in general terms. I feel like that's the popular thing to do, to just be light, kind of the gospel light, if you will. Here, they're very clear. This Messiah that we're talking about was Jesus Christ. That, that, that's the same message for us. The, 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 the rescue that you have isn't through God, and it's not vague terms. It's very specific through the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. As we're engaging with our world around us still today, that's the same charge that we have. Make sure it's crystal clear. Even when you're sharing your testimony, make sure it points to Jesus Christ as the rescuer and the one that solves 
our problems. And it says there that some were persuaded. Some were persuaded. Isn't that true just in, as you engage with the world around you? And we talked about this in a, a sermon a, a few weeks back called Ripe Avocados. Some are going to receive it, some are not. That's kind of how it works. I remember taking teams at uh, a university uh, out and uh, engaging with people on the, the campus. And every single week, you know, one, uh, we, we'd have different groups of two or three going out. We'd always come back together at the end of the evening as we're talking to people about Jesus Christ. And there'd be a few people that'd be like, yeah, we didn't have that great of conversations. People were kind of resistant. But there's always one or two people. There's one girl in particular that was part of a group that would always go out. She always had stories of just like, oh yeah, I talked to them and they, 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 they prayed to accept Christ. Oh, they, they decided that like all these major decisions were like, man, I want to hang out with her more. But, but here's the idea. When the gospel goes out, sometimes when we ring the alarm, some people are like, yeah, I need that. I'm desperate for that. And sometimes not. But that doesn't mean that we don't keep ringing the alarm. It's going to be received sometimes, and sometimes people are going to reject it regardless of how well we present it. We see this in verse 5, some annoyed with the noise. It says, but the Jews were jealous and taken some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them to the crowd, out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason had received them, and they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. Stop there for a moment. The idea here, stemming from jealousy, it says what? It says that the Jews were jealous in response to that. Why would they be jealous? What are they jealous about? You see, what they're introducing is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The sacrificial system in the synagogue that was in place is no longer necessary. So basically, what does that mean for the leaders in the Jewish faith? Unemployment line. This is, this is, this is a big deal. So what does it stirs up? They're like, man, we got to stop this. We got we to gotta do everything possible to oppose this. And it's so funny when you read through the book of Acts, really this exact same pattern every single time. What do they do? They rile up the crowds with false information. They, they stir up the opposition, and here, once again, they rile up the crowds with false information, and they make a couple claims against them or a couple accusations. The first one I absolutely love. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down. Like, talk about the, the coolest. They, they didn't intend this, I'm sure, but the ultimate compliment Paul, Paul and Silas are just, just uh, well, they, they weren't there at this moment. It's with, it's with Jason. But you imagine they hear this and they're like, man, that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's exactly what we're trying. We're trying to turn this world upside down. But here's where the accusation is not accurate. We're not turning the world upside down. We're turning the world right side up. You see, when we've been walking as a, as a planet in the wrong direction for so long, you start to think that this is the way it's supposed to be. 
Don't disturb this. This is how it's supposed to be. But these missionaries recognize, no, it's broken and needs to be turned, flip-flopped the other direction. I still think today when you turn on the news, it doesn't take very long for us to recognize, wait a second, things are kind of broken. They don't see anybody watch the news and come to that conclusion. You're like, doesn't seem like things are working right. It's almost like it's awry. It needs to be switched the opposite direction. That's exactly what they do is they're showing up to turn the world right side up. The other accusation is likely accurate, saying there is another king by the name of Jesus. Guessing that was the message that was being proclaimed. This king, and talk about something that would get the crowd like, whoa, we don't want to do anything to disrupt and upset the king and leadership. That's why it says that they were they were hard for them to hear, hard for them to hear any idea of treason. So here, the people have to choose how they're going to respond to the warning. In this case, they choose to reject and oppose it. I was reading this last week. I don't know if you've seen this on the news. A gentleman by the name of Daryl Clinton. Maybe you've seen this in Hawaii. During the, the, the volcanoes, he was warned multiple times to get out of this particular region because it's really unsafe. Have you guys heard about Daryl? Here's a, a picture of him. Daryl Clinton. He, he was there. He was trying to protect homes there. And it said, describes in the news that he was actually sitting on a, a neighbor's front porch so that he was trying to protect it. I don't know how you're sitting on a front porch protecting it. And he gets hit by a flying lava ball in the leg. They said that the lava ball was about the size of a bowling ball and, and, and hits him in the leg, totally shattering his leg. And here's the thing. Zero blood because it was so hot, it cauterized everything that, that it touched. So this guy, upon, uh, upon hearing multiple warnings, 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 would not listen. Similar for us. You're going to come across people that you engage with that you're like, man, I've warned them, I've warned them, I've warned them. And, and they just won't respond to the rescue plan that's out there. For us to not be discouraged by that, we have to keep going regardless of the Daryl Clintons that are out there that won't heed the warning. Because the truth is, some will. Some will hear it and will respond to it. Look at verse 10. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Pause there just for a second. If you guys didn't catch that, Jason one of the, the guy that was hosting Paul had been arrested and they are set out by a, a fund or amount of money that was paid in order to be set free like a security deposit. But then it goes back and it says the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, listen to this, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believe with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Okay, so we're seeing the exact opposite side of the coin here. They're basically, the exact same message, what's different? The response. 
the response. These are the men that are very uh, held in high regard to, the, to their response to the gospel message because they, they did some things that are a little different. It says that, first of all, that they received the word. In other words, they were teachable. Isn't that so refreshing when you're around somebody that's teachable, that doesn't have it all figured out? That, that's a, a prerequisite to the gospel message. In fact, tell the person next to you, you do not have it all figured out. That's kind of nice. Uh, some of you find that very refreshing to tell someone next to you that. But here, here's the, the idea, is that they're teachable. They're, 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 re- they're ready to receive truth. That's a key component or ingredient. I was uh, talking to my dad recently. He's in the process of teaching my daughters how to play tennis. It's kind of a family game. We love uh, tennis, and it's so fun to uh, see them just starting to pick up some of the skills for that. And uh, I asked him, just kind of uh, almost fishing for a compliment. I said, I said, Dad, because I know my daughters tend to kind of run all over and do their own thing. I said, Dad, did you, did you find them a, a little less teachable maybe than I was? And he's like, Oh, no way. They're way more teachable than you ever were. <laughs> and, and so this teachability is a key ingredient for receiving the gospel. Here, they're also not only teachable, but it says that they are eager, that they received it with all eagerness. So you have teachability, but then the, take it a whole step further is when someone's hungry to learn. When someone's hungry, where they're just soaking it all in. I love people with that as far as it relates to things with Jesus Christ. In our life group, there's a guy uh, by the name of Steve. He and his wife are newer to the church in the last couple of years. It's been so neat to see uh, just a family that we met through Willow Elementary. So neat to see how hungry he is to just take in everything Related to scripture, books to read, uh, passages of scripture we've read. It's funny, even in our life group, he'll quote things that were said in the sermon. Can you believe that? He was actually listening. It's so fun. And uh, a couple couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I was giving him a hard time because he missed church, and he's uh, rarely ever misses church. And I was giving him a little hard time. They had a legit reason. Uh, and, and so he and he's like, oh, no, but we listened to the sermon that night online. I'm like, wow, man, you're, 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 you're right after. But here, this idea of not just teachable, but hungry. And then the last thing you'll notice about them is their diligence. Their diligence. It says that they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In other words... They didn't want to just take it at face value. They're like, we're going to dig in ourselves. It's always shocking to me. It's, in in a sense, staggering how lazy people can be with spiritual things that have the potential to impact their eternity. How, it's, it's staggering how people don't put in the work. People are just content with just like, I don't really know. If you, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody talking about heaven or hell, of whether or not they know if they're going to heaven. And a lot of times you'll hear this response, well, I think I'm going to heaven. I've done some good things. I, I think so. And you're like, really? You're content with an I think so for something that relates to your next million years? Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't you think that's something that would be worthy of investment to dig in? Man, explore the world religions. Look in, dig in. My, my son Chase's school project, they're doing a, a project on, uh, what's it called? 
Scientology. And uh, I, was, I was helping him read through some of the, the uh, feedback on that and the, the fact that the, its designer, the creator, was L. Ron Hubbard. And he's quoted as saying, you never get rich by writing science fiction. You get rich by inventing your own religion. So that's a good solid base for your, your, your leader being quoted saying that. And so we're looking into this and I'm like, man, man that, that's just not a valid faith system. Like, that, like put in the word work, dig in. Here, it says that they did that. They examined the scripture to see themselves, and look at this word that's there. Therefore, therefore, it says many of them, therefore, in other words, because of the work that they had put in, because of their hungriness, because of their eagerness, therefore, because of that, they embraced the truth. When somebody puts on the logical cap, and starts to weigh and consider the claims of Scripture, I believe, therefore, will happen. I believe the outcome of the work is coming to a conclusion. Whoa, there is a need. My, my sin is separating me from a, a perfect God. There is the need for rescue. There, I can't solve this myself. All the conclusions that they pointed to are in the outcomes of that. So know this and be encouraged that some are going to receive it, some are not, but it doesn't mean that we stop ringing the alarm. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Huh, like that never happens. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they departed. So you get there, that idea that basically the, 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 these people received it well, but the Philippians followed them, stirred up tr trouble. I mean, the Thessalonians followed them, stirred up trouble, and move on to the next city. Do you think in the next city in Athens, do you think Paul shows up and he's like... Zip the lip. I'm done. I'm not sounding the alarm anymore. This is not going well. The crowds get riled up every time we do this. No. We're going to see next week, man, absolutely. They keep on at it. Never stop disturbing the peace. Never stop disturbing the peace. Why? Why, why do we never stop? Because I, I, I like this quote by the philosopher, the great philosopher, Nancy Angel, uh, this last week. Uh, she's our office manager in the church. She said this. I thought it was great. She said, we are not called to be peacekeepers, but uh, to be peacemakers. We're not called to be keep peace or, or to be peacekeepers, but peacemakers. We're not trying to keep the peace because sometimes... You have to stir the pot in order for people to recognize, wait, that's a false peace that I'm experiencing. I don't really have genuine peace apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. So how much, how long do we keep going with this? Till our, our very last breath. We keep chasing after it until the very end. Uh, my kids growing up in the church, they get a, a, a lot of... Uh, opportunity to serve, lots of opportunities to serve, right, Chase? Sometimes it's willingly, sometimes begrudgingly. A couple of weeks back, or I guess it's about a month, Chase was uh, volunteering, I'm going to give him a hard time, volunteering and was asking mom, 
how much longer do we have to be here? If you're, uh, John, I don't know if your kids ever did this too. How much longer? When can we, when can we, can, when can we go? And Stephanie heard Adrian's response. She wrote it down. It was so uh, brilliant. She said, uh, she said, you're going to keep serving your pants off. So when you get to heaven, you'll arrive with no pants. And I was like, <laughs> there you go. So there, there. So how, how long do we keep sounding the alarm? How long do we keep ringing the bell? Until we arrive to heaven with no pants on. I know maybe that's a little crass. Sorry for that image. But, but you get the idea. Keep serving till the very end because there's so much at stake. And safety always trumps comfort. I'm going to close our time with one final story based on a true news article. I'll read it to you guys. On May 26, 2002, a towboat on the Arkansas River in Oklahoma accidentally pushed a barge into a concrete, concrete bridge support. The bridge was where Interstate crossed the river, Interstate 40 crossed the river. At the impact, a third of the bridge collapsed. You can see a picture of it here on the screen. The problem was that the people on the interstate could not see that the bridge was out. Fishermen below watched in horror as car after car fell off the, off the edge, plunging 62 feet to the river. The fishermen immediately began pulling survivors out of the river. When they, called, uh, when they pulled a truck driver out of the water, he shouted, Somebody stop the cars. So fisherman Alton Willett grabbed a flare gun from his boat and ran up to the interstate where another semi was headed to the collapsed bridge. Willett fired the flare gun at the semi, hitting it on the driver's windshield. The driver slammed on his brakes and the wheels locked up. The trailer came to a stop with the truck's front wheels hanging over the ledge. The driver threw it into reverse and pulled away, effectively blocking the road and warning the other drivers. 14 people died that day, but how many more would have died if Alton Willett hadn't done what it took to warn people who were blindly headed toward their death? Let me pray. And I thank you for this account of the early church and their understanding of the charge to go and make disciples. And I thank you that they understood that safety trumps comfort and it takes often us ringing an alarm even when people don't necessarily want to hear it it takes that often to bring the awareness that's needed god i pray for us just that you would elevate this priority even in our in our life as we interact with so many people on a regular basis that desperately desperately need you God, we can only do this with the work of your spirit in our lives, God. And we're very aware that it has to be done sens with sensitivity. I'm very aware that it has to be done with good questions asked, as Bill discussed last week. But, God, I just sense just such an urgency in our communities. I pray for me specifically in this area. I pray for us as a church. Oh, that we would be known as a church and a people that turn this world upside down with the saving message of Jesus Christ. Pray this in the strong name of him.
So disturbing the peace. I don't want to get any calls from the sheriff's department where you're like, the pastor told me to. We're talking about taking risks with sharing Jesus Christ with those around us. We're clear on that? Okay. If you would like to be prayed for following the service, we have volunteers up here. I pray you have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.